Hey everyone, uh, welcome to another uh, very different episode of Breaking the Ceiling. In the past, we've had a lot of food founders, we've lot of, had a lot of you know, business founders, but uh, today's guest is a little different than food or any other other business we've spoken about before. The way I was introduced to him is a friend of mine uh, told me that, you know, you have to meet this person and uh, he's very interesting. I'm like, what does he do? He said, oh, you know, you can outsource innovation. The minute she used those words, that piqued my interest. And I researched him a little more and we had an offline chat earlier. And uh, today I'm going to be talking to Rohan uh, Goswami, who is the CEO of Y Center. Hey, Rohan, welcome to Breaking the Ceiling. Hi, thank you so much, Ashwin. Finally, uh, it's great to meet in person. Uh, you know, I was uh, just telling my friend the other day that I think the best introduction is when you're introduced to a person's work, you know, before you meet the person. And I think that's what happened, you know, when it came to you. I actually looked you up and the work you're doing, which is impressive. And uh, of course, we have a common friend who mentioned you and the things you do. And I was like, I have to, you know, meet him in whatever <laughs> format uh, is possible. So here I am. So before we dive into Y Center, yes. uh, tell me your life before Y Center. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a long one. I mean, it's weird, right? Like when time feels warped because... Uh, I already feel like I've been alive for 50 years, I think. I think you, I think, I think like startup founders, co-founders, entrepreneurs, they just age quicker, you know, than, than other people. Uh, so I have been a serial entrepreneur, you know, before this. Um, I've always like, I've grown up in boarding school. Uh, I am uh, from a very small town uh, in the Northeast uh, called Malbazar, which is like very close to uh, the uh, Bhutan, uh, you know, India's border with Bhutan. Nice. So I've grown up in the foothills of the Himalayas and uh, I went to boarding school. You know, it's pretty standard for uh, most uh, kids from that part of the world. And uh, I've always been like very interested in just, um, you know, problem solving uh, because I grew up in a very small place uh, where we had limited access. So newspapers would arrive like a day late oh wow right so we would we would get like thursday's news on wednesday and which is very weird because right now like the whole media industry is also going through this whole uh, you know renaissance where you can't sell yesterday's news anymore but i literally grew up with yesterday's news you know like and that was like day before yesterday's news in that sense uh, so yeah that's that's uh, my my father worked in in the tea estates in that region because that's the tea belt of india mm-hmm. so yeah pretty interesting pretty disconnected you know from society uh, uh we grew up in very remote regions traveled a lot uh, in boarding school and i think uh, from when i was in college you know i became very interested in just uh, the world at large and like you know, solving problems that matter, you know, like really applying the skills, you know, we were learning. So that's how I got into entrepreneurship. Uh, but having said that, I don't think I had a plan when I got into it. You know, like most of my friends, you know, when they ask me this question for the first time, they think I'll have like some kind of an amazing story that happened. But I think most people that get into entrepreneurship just get into it because you see a problem worth solving and you just jump, you don't have a plan. That's what happened with me, started my first company when I was 19, went through that whole process, you know, building a team, making the mistakes that uh, early stage, you know, early entrepreneurs make, very grateful. Uh, The first startup did not work out, but I think I walked away with lessons, you know, worth a lifetime. Uh, I've started another collective, uh, you know, a non-profit collective after that, uh, focused on journalism, you know, collecting stories Mm -hmm. uh, across India. And uh, that's when I eventually met uh, my now business partner, uh, at Y Center, and that's what I'm running. So yeah, I've typically been like a serial entrepreneur out there. Um, yeah, and that's in a gist. That's how it's been. That is fantastic. So, uh, when did you start Y Center? Yeah. So 
fun story so y center was actually started by my business partner mm-hmm. right so uh, he's ceo at y center i'm coo at y center and uh, he started y center back when he was at drexel university right so his name is dhairya and uh, it was started as an education organization focused around you know helping university students get exposure to real world problem solving you know so that's what y center used to be um when i was running my you know second project which was not a company yet uh which was focused around like journalism where i was basically me and my uh friend who is now my wife uh were basically just traveling around india mm-hmm. you know collecting stories spending time with communities that a lot of people know very little about that's what we were doing so i was studying communities i was i was looking at the problems you know faced by communities and you know that's what i was doing just purely focused on stories uh i had quit my corporate job right so my now wife was actually one of the first uh employees at y center from india so she right. had applied for a job she got in and that's when she told dhairya my partner that hey you know what you should meet this guy so you know much like how we are sitting here today and this literally is the first time we are meeting and here we are like doing a podcast it is very similar where we met for the first time at a starbucks uh because i used to travel from pune i was based in pune so i used to travel from pune to bombay and then go back have meetings here figure out what to do uh you know with my organization so i literally met him that was one of my meetings and uh, it was amazing so that's when we figured that there's a lot we can do he was trying to build a team in india uh for our first ever tech product uh in the company which was an uh, education platform and uh, he was trying to put a team together and that's what i told him that hey you know what like i think we can do so much more and you know we immediately you know just stereotypical you know just wrote down everything uh, on whatever paper we could find around us and that's when we got started so I, then i joined in as a founding partner and uh, helped transform y center into what it is today so we are no more just an education company uh yeah we are a, we are a specialized design studio now that uh, focuses on developing products services and strategies uh for extremely complex uh social problems out there why did you name the company why center it's very interesting name yeah it is um so i always like to you know ask why do you think we named it why center because it's very interesting to see what people think so let me ask that question back to you before i tell you why we <laughs> named it why center Why do you think it is named Y Center? Y Center, Y Center. I can't imagine why. Like, why is this the center? Is like a question. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Is, uh-huh. is that a is that a thing? Like, why is this the center? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right, pretty cool, very close. But also, that is the answer. Okay, literally, like okay. Y Center. Okay. Uh, having people wonder uh, to invoke curiosity. uh and like really to be like this center of uh you know where you challenge you know norms you challenge silos you challenge uh you know like uh whatever standards uh, you know exist out there in the world you just challenge the status quo like literally like asking why mm. uh that's the main reason and of course there are other things we say sometimes like in you know, the why stands for youth and the why stands for you know blah 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 but i think ultimately it's exactly what you said you know curiosity fantastic but what made you turn this from a education startup right to what it is so back in 2017 uh my partner and i we realized uh that we would like to build a platform like an online you know edtech platform that focuses on 
uh, entrepreneurship and creativity programs, right? Because uh, we kind of realized that you can't teach creativity and entrepreneurship the way you teach other courses on, for example, you know, other online platforms out there. It's not the same thing. You know, these are very practical. These are these are very field based. Uh, you know programs so uh, we used to teach programs out there like literally on the field so uh, we were already doing programs around the world in the US in India and in Africa so we kind of thought you know what if we could take that studio experience of a program and turn it online so we literally had to go back to you know revisiting what could the instructional design be like how do you teach this like how do you help you know strangers from around the world collaborate uh, you know online you know without having met each other take a course and then actually maybe end up creating a venture or creating a project, uh, you know, that can then grow into something bigger. So that was the main reason why that's uh, the standard response. But I think the uh, the entrepreneur response is also that it's, it was impossible for us to scale, uh, you know, just being service driven, you know, on the ground. So initial thought was this, that we can't be everywhere in the world. But if we want to give our programs to people around the world, uh, we need to have a way to do that. So that's what led us to building EPIC, which stands for Experiential Platform for Innovation and Creativity. So that's what we built. I love the fact, I love the fact that you guys recognized that, hey, you know what, what we're doing is not scalable. Yeah. It takes a lot of maturity to come to that decision because many people may think of it like, oh, I failed. Yeah. You learned. Yeah. You pivoted. Yeah. It's better than going and crashing and burning and going to the zero or yeah. you know below zero. Yeah. Understanding how oh, this model is not scalable. I want to create something scalable. I want to create something with high impact. Yeah. Pivoting your model to be able to do that. Yeah. So kudos to you guys yeah. to making that right. pivot, right? So now tell me a little bit deeper about what Y Center actually right. does. Um, Perfect. So let me put it in a scenario, right? So like I mentioned, we're a very specialized design studio and we make product services and strategies. That sounds great, right? But how does it look like, you know, in practice? So what we do is um, we typically work with, you know, uh, large organizations. Uh, this could be like corporates. Mm -hmm. uh, this could be uh, government bodies. This could be uh, impact foundations like the UN agencies, uh, you know, where we almost work as their internal, you know, innovation lab, you know, outsourcing innovation, that's what you started with. Uh, because we kind of realized that, you know, having been on the field for so long, uh, we kind of realized that we have the capacity to help other organizations kind of, uh, you know, do frugal innovation. Uh, because a lot of our work is based in Africa. So we were very used to working in remote low resource settings. And the pandemic forced everyone to you know, move to you know, figuring out a business model for low resource settings. So what we do is uh, we work with organizations that have like let's say identified an extremely you know sometimes almost you know unsolvable like seemingly unsolvable problem, and we kind of partner with them where we bring in our uh, process tools you know uh, based on the human centered design framework, and uh, we help break down those complex problems into like solvable parts. You know, sometimes when you tackle a problem at a large, it seems unsolvable. But when you look at the parts, you're like, hey, you know, it looks like we can do something here. So we do that. We break it down. Uh, uh, we analyze. We figure out what the cause and effect could be. And then we turn uh, that into a possible solution, you know, design brief. 
and then move into you know develop so we do this end to end so we start right from research to understanding breaking down you know these problems to then figuring out what the solution could be is it a product is it a service is it a strategy uh, and then also helping them make that and you know going you know to the market or to the communities right so we typically started doing this for social problems so you know we worked around food security in africa public healthcare public education and you know that's when we also started getting a lot of interest from larger organizations because they were like hey you know you're doing this on the field you know we would like to do something like this internally for more consumer facing products uh, so that's that's when we started offering you know programs to them fantastic so what is the kind of skill sets yeah. your teammates would have so we are a very people driven organization right uh, being primarily uh, you know a service driven company we recognize that so our team is extremely multidisciplinary so we have uh data scientists we have uh, design researchers we have uh, developers you know we have ai ml engineers uh we have product designers you know and we also have uh, you know people specializing in education right uh, i am an engineer myself and so is my business partner we are both engineers so i think it's a very multidisciplinary team uh and we kind of built it when we realized that you know when we work on problems there's usually things in common you know you deal with people and you deal with data right and putting those two together helps you understand the problem and also what the possible solution could be excellent uh when you are recruiting what do you look for in people that's 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 an awesome question that i get asked a lot especially by my other entrepreneur friends um so here is what i think you know goes into hiring especially when you're building a company like this so i think um <clears throat> our focus you know when it comes to hiring when it comes to meetings or anything for that matter is very value driven you know uh, we've made this mistake in the past when we were still learning where we kind of focused on skills but very soon we realized that you know skills are no match for value and that's what uh, uh, in there's a saying that you know culture eats strategy for breakfast and i think that's true so when we are hiring the way we've divided our process is that the first thing that we look for is whether the candidate is a culture fit you know so when founders hire uh, most founders for example let's say if i'm hiring for a front end developer role you know and then you have a form that asks questions most founders have very technical questions on that form related to the you know role right but what we do is do it the other way around because i am going to take an interview later like my team is going to assess the technical skills of course but how about we first filter on the basis of whether you're a culture fit so if you look at our form it actually has questions like uh, tell us your story like like nice. what made you apply for this position like how did you get here like what's your story so far we have questions like uh, what problems are you passionate about solving out there in the world you know outside of the scope of you know what you're applying for uh and uh, you know anyone who does not answer those questions or you know just has just you know fillers you know for those uh, responses we kind of you know not look at them i mean anybody now applying to y center maybe knows what they're supposed <laughs> no. to do yeah but we we take this very seriously you know so the first thing is a culture based uh you know filtering and then when we do the interview again uh we focus on i focus on reminding myself about what our values are uh and uh, then we focus on very application driven you know questions so i think like again taking a front end developer you know role the reason i'm giving you this example is because we're currently hiring for a front end developer right so i think anybody who comes to these interviews they go and google you know like top 
front-end developer questions asked in interviews, right? Correct. Anybody can do that. So I don't think I need to ask those questions, right? What I instead like to focus on is I give very scenario-based questions, you know, like I create a very detailed scenario inspired by some of the projects we've worked on. And we are like, you are free to use any method, any technology to solve this. What would your approach be? And I like kind of like to see, you know, how do they approach, uh, you know, what's their problem solving process like? So culture driven first, and then very, very like application oriented instead of asking, you know, rhetorical questions. Uh, I think those are the top two things, you know, that has really worked in our favor for putting together a remote team. I think that's currently based out of about uh, seven countries. Oh, wow. Yeah. How do you manage culture of your company across seven countries? Yeah. Um, Good question, right? So I think um, culture in its essence is also very subjective, right? So when we talk about the culture of a company and then you have employees from different countries, there are different languages, you know, different social customs, different ways of even saying hello or signing off from work in a day, stuff like that. So what we like to do is we like to give them, you know, like a North Star, like a, you know, like a guiding compass, you know, and we do that in, in the sense that we've actually created our own value charter, you know, for our company. Nice. Uh, the story behind how we created the value charter is, again, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, but the short version is that uh, we made a very wrong hiring decision, partnership decision that actually put our entire company into jeopardy oh, at wow. one point, right? And it was very difficult for us to, you know, move away from that. That's when we realized that, you know, we need to spend some time doing this. So me and my partner came up with a value charter and it has, it's it's like a guiding star, you know, like, for example, what do you do in a conflict, right? Uh, uh, what are the values you should stand up for, you know, stuff like that. Uh, for example, courage is a value that we have and we really want, you know, everybody in our team to do the right thing especially when they're scared, right? And to ask for help, you know, when you need it, because I think it takes a lot of courage to ask for help, Absolutely. you know, stuff like that. Absolutely. So we created a value charter to give mm -hmm. that as a guiding compass. And I think uh, the way we ensure is, of course, we like to uh, practice what we preach. I think as a leader in the company, if I am not setting a good example, uh, nobody else will take it up. Also, uh, something for like very early stage founders is that, you know, when you have a very small team, you know, maybe just you and your co-founder or maybe you, your co-founder and your first ever employee, a lot of people like to think that culture is something that can be deferred for later. You know, like when we have a bigger team, that's when you think of culture. But I think even if you're a solo founder, like how you work and spend your day is the culture. It doesn't matter what you write on your website, right? Right. When you get the first person to join your team, they're going to emulate exactly what you do, right? If you come to meetings five minutes late, everyone is going to get the message, even if you've never said it, that it's okay to come to meetings five minutes late, right? So I think it starts, you know, when you are alone out there sitting in a room uh, and, and, you know, that's what we... So yeah, so a value charter as a North Star, you know, a guiding compass, followed by actually putting that into practice. Uh, and being very self-aware of the fact that, you know, uh, unspoken actions is the value, you know, way more than what you write in an email or what you put up out there in your website. So I've started multiple businesses uh -huh. and it took me a good decade to understand the importance of culture. Uh, I've made terrible, terrible mistakes, hiring mistakes, uh, setting the wrong example personally by people I've hired who are supposed to represent me for the team. 
uh, not taking you know harsh steps to correct it or yeah. because the person was so well in sales or yeah. high sales person yeah. how can i fire her yeah. she's doing yeah. so well yeah. but she was toxic to the culture yeah she stuck around the company for a year and that was my fault right uh, but now i've realized that if you work on that and many of the companies when i start there one people to yeah, exactly yeah. that's where the culture starts and each of the organizations has slightly different culture but yeah. one thing that runs common across all dogs is our core value yeah because i think core value is something that can't change i mean especially <laughs> when it's led by similar yeah, people yeah. it can't be different for different people yeah, so first yeah. we are like oh each company will have a different core value but then we are like it doesn't make sense we actually yeah. asked the leaders of different companies yeah. they've got different core values and when we showed them the main one they were yeah. like no these are exactly who we yeah, are yeah yeah but we did that a decade too late uh-huh. and some if i could go back i would go back to the beginning and yeah. literally on the first day set up core values mission vision yeah. purpose many people think it's a waste of time yeah right uh, and it's not something that you need to put up on your website mm-hmm. many people come up with this yeah. when they're making the website exactly. the web developer last on the about us page should be put mission yeah. oh let me think about it <laughs> yeah. i've seen this hundreds yeah. of times right yeah. and but what people don't realize is as you scale yeah. it is this culture these values yeah. and everybody's understanding of what is their north star what is yeah. their mission what is yeah. their purpose yeah. is what is going to make a company successful yeah. it's yeah. not the founder who's on the front line doing things yeah. it is not the managers yeah. not the leaders yeah. it's everybody who's on the front line yeah. doing it yeah. and if they are not aligned yeah there's no chance yeah. you're going to succeed uh today i i made a video and it's going to everybody in the org all equinoxes are getting it in the next half an hour uh, i had a, a meeting yesterday food founders mm-hmm. meeting uh, about 25 people mm-hmm. uh i went around met everybody mm-hmm. 24 of them knew who equinox was mm-hmm. they liked equinox mm-hmm. and they were already a client uh-huh. one of them uh-huh. knew equinox uh-huh. liked equinox but wasn't a client right So I sent out a video to everybody saying guys I think while we are climbing our mountain right and we have you know ways to go right it's time to just maybe stop mm-hmm. and take a look at how far we've come yeah. because back in the day uh-huh. like 5 years ago 7 years ago if I went to a meeting this way yeah one two people who know we had and maybe one of them would be a <laughs> client yeah. but now yeah. things are a little different yeah. right but it's also and something a big mistake that I have made in the past yeah. is not taken time to stop look how far we've come yeah. and thank everybody for the yeah. you know the, reaching the summit that we've already reached mm-hmm. so i think that was a big learning for me and that's really changed how i start yeah. operate now yeah and it also makes me think you know as you were saying this ashwin that um i think coming up with your culture is the easy part right uh but if done right that's not easy as well but i think really implementing your culture especially during difficult times when your when your values are challenged to the core you know like it's very easy to uh, have your culture implemented on a friday right but but when you have to enforce it at a time when you're really challenged you're like you know it's you're between the devil and the sea right i think that's when you really set an example so the reason i'm mentioning this is because i think culture works both ways uh a lot of founders look think about culture as something that's internal facing you know a culture is for your team you know for for your co-founder you know for your employees but i think culture is also external facing so what do i mean by that when we were creating a value charter we had made a list of values we look for in organizations and clients we partner with right so this is like who do we partner with you know like who should like who should work with us really right So we had made this. Now something that's not on our website is that we have an internal list of who do we not partner with. So we have a list of attributes and characteristics of who is not an ideal partner or a client for and we use that. That's that's like the north star you don't see, you know. 
And why I'm giving this example is because in the last few years, we have been challenged where, you know, even up until very recently, where we've had the opportunities to work with large organizations, you know, big names, but it was not a value match, right? And, uh, you know, we were really challenged to the core, you know, and even a very recent experience as well, like this happened again, where uh, we were really forced to choose between do we take the project for the money or do we continue believing in our North Star and reject, like think about this as we are a small company right now, uh, you know, but, you know, rejecting money, you know, rejecting a partnership opportunity, rejecting a big brand name that could come up in your portfolio, that's big, you know. Uh, and we decided to go with upholding our values and say no, right? And and that kind of also drove our partner crazy, you know, like our potential client, right? And it has happened in the past. Our client, like the clients we've rejected, they've gone crazy. They're like, what do you, like they've, this has never happened with them, right? So I've received a phone call and they're like, we, uh, did we read the email, right? Like you're saying that, you know, you, do, don't you don't want, want to pursue to. this project because there's an, you know, there's a work ethics or a value clash. Like, what does that mean, you know? And I really believe in this. And I think uh, I also have the confidence that my team knows that as a leader, I'm taking a decision uh, that's actually based on very sound logic and rationale, you know, uh, and, and they're completely like, you know, with, uh, you know, with me, you know, when I take these decisions. And, uh, and, and I love that I've been able to build, you know, that kind of a culture within the team. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's when you're really challenged and it has happened with us. But, you know, I think those decisions in hindsight, we are happy because I think one wrong client is equivalent to you losing, you know, 10 other clients or projects that would, you know, really bring in, uh, you know, the money and the impact you're hoping for. So saying no, you know, externally, <laughs> that's the challenge, right? So, yeah. I, uh, so uh, at Equinox, we keep uh, almost every week, we keep yeah. getting asked by customers, especially when the report fails. So we do water food air testing yeah. and food safety audits. Yeah. Uh, so when a report fails, somebody will call and say, Ki, you know, so what, no, a normal thing is, why did it fail? What can we do better? Which is a normal question. But one of those fellows will be like, hey, uh, can you give us a past report? Every single person, we have about 1,000 people across Equinox, every single person is empowered irrespective of who the client is. Yeah. We do not care yeah. about the brand. Yeah. Can fire the client. Uh -huh. Saying, here's your money. Uh -huh. Entire amount. Yeah. Not one sample. Uh -huh. Could be 100 samples. Uh -huh. He's client covered one sample. But if any client asks us, he change the report. Yeah. Even an intern in Equinox can say, I'm so sorry, sir. This is against our values. We are initiating a refund. Yeah. And blacklisting you. Once this happened yeah. with a big name, I can't, I'm not going to name it for privacy reasons. Yeah, they've been fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Like, what do we do? Interesting. Yeah. Us, like, you know who we are. Like, I got the call. Yeah. Literally, the VP of the company calling you up and threatening me, saying, "Do you know who we are? Yeah. Do you know what we yeah. can?" I'm like, the fact that you're yelling at me because of this exactly. shows me something, yeah. right? If you had called me and said, "Hey, Junior made a mistake," I would appreciate it. I would have reconsidered because, as an organization, yeah. you're not doing something. A person did it. Yeah. But you calling and yeah. showing your ego, yeah. I think my, my intern did the right decision of letting you go. Exactly, exactly. But it's very difficult. But guess what? Every single Equinox in is now proud of yeah. moments like this. Right? Because these moments matter. Yeah. These are defining moments that actually show your own team. Yeah. Hey, what are you guys made of? What do you guys stand for? Yeah.
So, do you have any questions for me? Yes, I do. So, um, when you, it's very interesting, all right. Like the way we connected and on the phone, we were like, "Hey, if you're going to catch up and talk, let's just put cameras and extract what we can from this information and share it out there with the world, right?" Which I think is pretty awesome. Very little is spoken about the reality, you know, behind entrepreneurship, right? Uh, the real, like what really goes on, you know, like if you go to LinkedIn, you look at all the flaws, but like really talking about, you know, those difficult days when you question the very fact that why are you an entrepreneur? I think it's it's because we're doing this in Mumbai. I think it's a lot like your first Mumbai local train experience, right? Like the first time you take it, you question your life. You're like, why am I here today? Like, what did I do that I have to deserve this? But very soon you get used to it, and then you realize it's the best thing ever. It's convenient and all of that stuff. So I wanted to ask you. um if you were to like keep it real you know when it comes you know to because you've been a serial entrepreneur yourself and i think you've heard a lot of people talk share their stories you know on this podcast as well what is like your like number one you know keep it real lesson very little spoken about so i think a lot of people when they think about entrepreneurs yeah and many entrepreneurs on the limelight yeah they always think that oh you know if you start a business or oh, your life is made or oh, you make tons of money <laughs> and you know you have fancy cars that that's 0.001% of what you're actually true, seeing it's true. not in the tip of the iceberg it's yeah. either if you put a small diamond on top of an iceberg <laughs> that's what you're looking at you're not even yeah. looking at the remaining yeah. thing yeah uh, there is a lot of unglorified things that happen <laughs> behind entrepreneurship uh, something as basic and every single entrepreneur have gone for yeah. you know gone through this as ups and downs happen the one of the biggest tensions yeah. for most entrepreneurs how do i pay salaries yeah how do i pay my creditors yeah. money is not coming in uh, fiscal discipline in india and many parts of the world is very very poor people say 30 day credits you will not get money for 90 exactly. days yeah. and you can't do anything like yeah. the legal system doesn't really yeah. support you you yeah. can take them to court you will see your money after 6 years <laughs> yeah. right so people are very happy to take them to court yeah. so money management i think becomes a very very real uh, challenge for most entrepreneurs and unfortunately they can't discuss this with anybody you can't yeah, really you go can't. to your teammates and say oh i don't have money to pay you yeah. like they'll be like what the hell yeah, <laughs> they go to yeah, yeah. you know uh, bounce so you can't discuss this with uh, people yeah. in your organization uh, you can't really tell many other people in your field because they may look down on you yeah. this is i think one of the highest causes of stress uh-huh. in the business a lot of uh, uh, mental pressures yeah. come because of this but i think it's okay to talk about it yeah. like during the pandemic there were times when we were red yeah we opened it to everybody yeah couple of people actually questioned me hr ping me on the side they're like are you telling people we are going in the red what if every you know what if people leave not a single person left because they have faith in what we do they know what we do we are very transparent about it yeah. right uh, i think if you're transparent yeah. with your teammates nothing bad is going to happen you can share your problems with your teammates like like back in the day i probably wouldn't have shared like 10 years ago i probably wouldn't have shared anything with most people today everyone who works directly with me knows about at least most of the issues that i face any challenges i face i share with them and then we actually collectively work to solve those creating that culture takes time but i yeah. think more than team culture your team is actually a lot more receptive it's yeah. you as an entrepreneur yeah. who has to work on this yeah right and uh, one more hack that i probably have learned is having mentors in your life is absolutely critical very important absolutely critical right 
the right person at the right time can just move your direction from here to here. Yeah. But this direction will take you 10 times further yeah. than what would have gone. Yeah. So having those people, because people who've been there, done that, yeah. can just navigate you in the right way. They may not tell you what to do. They will just help you think of what to do. Yeah. And it completely changes. So I think those are a couple of things which a lot of people don't talk about. But I think yeah. So, you know, if, if this couch, you know, and this was a therapy session, and <laughs> if you brought in founders and asked them, what's your number one issue? This is a safe space. Talk about it. Most people would talk about money and money management. I want to add two cents to that. One is completely agree with you, right? Money management. I think also uh, it, is, it has something to do with just the education system in India as well because we are not taught financial management even for, you know, at an individual level. You know, like right now we are going through this whole, uh, you know, renaissance in India where the youth are, in, you know, this newer banking has, you know, really encouraged youth to start investing. Uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, employees in my team as young as 19 years old who have like a cryptocurrency portfolio now, which is like pretty awesome. Uh, but I think that's very recent, right? But there's there's a very lack of financial, even like individual financial management skills. Uh, so I think when you just suddenly start running a company, you don't know how to manage it for like 20 other people, right? Uh, that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, but also, I think at the same time, especially for early stage founders, early stage bootstrap founders, I think are very afraid of the S word, you know, especially if it's your sales is what I mean, right? Of course. They're afraid of sales. Most people don't talk about sales. Most people don't want to invest time thinking about sales. You know, there's a lot that's spoken about when it comes to the vision of the company, the tech of the company, and like your business model, but like sales, you know. So I was very recently... Um, assessing a few startups, you know, for a program that's run by NASCOM and Cisco Foundation. Uh, uh, and one of the top things I always look for, you know, in companies is do the founders have any sales experience, right, when it comes to investing? Because without any sales experience, uh, none of that matters, right? And it's it's spoken about very little because I think in the startup culture, uh, it's almost glorified to a point where it's it's very, you know, surreal. You know, it's almost like you're running this completely different entity that is, uh, devoid of the laws of like profit and loss like it can exist in vacuum and you don't have to think about those things right but I was telling you on the phone the other day that I believe that the word startup is very overused overrated it's you know it's it's almost like exploited to a term where it means you know I don't even know what it means anymore so I I prefer thinking that I run a company and not a startup Right, which means that from day one, it doesn't matter whether you're building like uh, you know a social innovation platform or or whether you're building the next dating app. If you're not thinking about how you're going to pay salary, how you're going to pay rent, you know how you're going to cover your expenses, how you're going to cover your costs from day one, you're just setting yourself up for failure, right? So you know, even we, even though we work so much in the social innovation domain, you know, we work on the field, like we worked on everything from. Uh, like let's say developing low-cost solutions for malaria testing to helping farmers in Kenya uh, and you know governments in Africa like sort of uh, do data-driven policy tracking to working on public healthcare projects you know around the world. I think we took a very conscious de decision to be a for-profit company, right? And we like to say that we are a profit-for-good company. The reason being that if we are going out there and helping you know organizations communities create sustainable, economically sustainable models or consumer-facing products. If we are not setting an example by, you know, being sustainable ourselves, I think that's just hypocrisy, right? 
So yeah, I, I truly, truly believe that, uh, you know, sales expenses like that's you should be thinking about from day one, your business model, all of that other stuff uh, will figure themselves out. And culture is what helps you achieve that. 100%. So uh, when you talk to college students, yeah. and uh, I once in a couple of months, uh, always try and address college students for a very simple reason is more than what I tell them, I wait for the questions yeah. and I try and probe them a little more, right? Uh, when I talk to them, like, hey, how many of you want to start in something? Oh, start something. Yeah. Okay. How are you going to start it? Like, oh, we're going to raise money. That's the default response. Exactly. Oh, we're going to go and raise money exactly. for outside. Oh, yeah. we're going to yeah. get venture capital. We're going to get seed funding. Yeah. Nobody looks at, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to earn something. Yeah. And I'm going to start from yeah. there. Or yeah. I'm going to borrow the first little bit. Yeah. Everyone is looking at VC funding. Everyone is looking at, like, somebody else is going to put in money. And that's going to solve all my problems. Yeah. Many people, many founders, early stage founders, Raise money a little too early yeah. when they don't need it. You should raise money at the right time. When you have a scalable product, you know that, hey, if I can move it from one, if I put in one, it will generate two. Yeah. Or now I can put in 100 and generate 200. Yeah. But if you haven't figured out the one to two, yeah. and if you're putting in one, you're getting 0.5 back, yeah. or you're getting nothing back. Yeah. It's very difficult. Like right now, there's so many startups. Minus 500 crores, minus 2,000 crores, minus 3,000 crores. I've seen and I, we work with, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know, we work with a lot of them, <laughs> right? I don't want to name anyone, but there have been times when we have the largest of these yeah. behemoths have been three weeks away from going kaput, yeah. right? Like everybody's fearing for their jobs because we deal with, we didn't deal with the founders, we're dealing with the lines below. Everyone's like, guys, three months, three weeks later, I don't know. Yeah. People literally said, hey, just follow up on your invoice and take it now. I don't know, three weeks later, we'll be there or not. And then, yeah. then you're in line. Yeah. Right. Uh, and luckily they got funding and they're sustaining. My point is, but if you live funding to funding yeah. with no clear vision of uh, you know, profitability, yeah. I'm not saying that you cannot acquire customers at a loss the first time. Yeah. Right. Many people think that, oh, I'll acquire a customer at 10,000 rupees yeah. and over the lifetime I'll make up money. But the lifetime is only one year and then one year only on 2000. Okay. They only focus on the wrong metric. Yeah. They look at just the vanity metric of, oh, we acquired a million customers. Yeah. How many of those customers are profitable? Yeah. Nobody looks at that, yeah. right? Because they're like, oh, acquisition rate is going to help us get the next round. Yeah. That's going to help us get the next round. While that may work out for a very few, most of these are going to end up vanishing. And that's why I'm very worried about that bubble that's coming up. Yeah. And it's we are already starting to see some effects of that. You're already starting to see a lot of tech founders scaling down very quickly. And uh, they land up saying, oh, we were inspired by Elon Musk. <laughs> Which is very interesting. The same person yeah. you were criticizing uh -huh. about uh -huh. three months ago uh -huh. is now suddenly like, oh, I'm inspired by him. And we are, yeah. I've, I've literally seen a couple of things saying, oh, we're inspired by Elon Musk and now we are learning from him. Yeah. Which is, uh, many people, they get very excited when they want to join these new startups. Oh, we're getting double the salary. Yeah. Your job security is a little lower and most people don't figure that out. Right? But That's right. That's right. So I think, of course, like a part of it has to do with just how the VC investment model works. But speaking of speaking to college students, uh, uh, just like a thinking framework I like to give them is that, you know, because a lot of them talk about, when I ask them, what's your business model? How are you going to get this started? Amazing tech, amazing that you've thought of this innovation, but what's your business model, right? They are like, we're going to raise some money. So a question that I like to ask them and counter is that, you know, let's imagine that I'm an investor, right? And if I were to give you a check, $1 million right now, right here, right now, all I need to hear from you is, I want you to tell me exactly how you're going to use every cent of my money. 
right? Give me a breakdown of where you're going to spend it, why you're going to spend it there, how does that affect your ROI, how does that make your customers uh, experience better, right? How does that help you grow as a company? If you can give me a monthly and a yearly breakdown, I give you a check right now. Now this question, even though it seems simple if you do not have entrepreneurship experience, but anybody who's run a company knows that this is extremely difficult to answer, right? To get down to that level, you need to have a lot of clarity in order to get down to a granular level and really understand why you need to spend money, you know, more important than how much money you need. Uh, because I think, you know, as we were talking about the fact that just financial management itself is a huge gap. I think that's also, you know, going on to entrepreneurship. So I'm a big fan of bootstrap startups, especially in the early stages, like raise money when you are profitable, as opposed to raising money to survive. You know, like most people think of money as, I mean, of course, unless you're a very infrastructure heavy company, that's very, that's very different. But I think for most tech companies, uh, you know, being profitable first, or at least, you know, having some business model and cash flow first, uh, I think is paramount, you know, that's what gives you that clarity, you know, why exactly need the money and where you could spend it. But it's very uh, difficult for somebody early stage yeah. to figure this out. Like, I don't know a single founder in the first six months or one year yeah. who would be able to answer that question because you're figuring it out, which is fine. Yeah. But do not go and raise $10 million trying to figure it out. Yes. You can raise something, you can raise something small, you can borrow money. Yeah. Borrowing money is something that has almost gone out of style now. Like, why borrow money when there is money available? I can just give a little equity. Yeah. Right? Uh, but borrowing money has, I think, a better effect because you know you have to pay it back. There is a certain timeline to pay it back in. Puts a little bit of pressure on you and I think will drive more creativity. Yeah. At least that's my, my two cents. Uh, so my last question to you is, what advice would you give to somebody starting out a business now? Okay. So some context, right? We're having this conversation in 2023, which is like the third year of the pandemic, right? Um, I think the world is no more what it was in 2019. Um, in, from the perspective that, you know, most people talk about achieving product market fit. But I like to think of product market fit as something you don't just achieve, but you achieve and maintain, right? Because if you achieve product market fit five years ago, does not, that does not guarantee that you still have a product market fit in 2023, right? So my first advice to entrepreneurs starting now would be to kind of start with the context and understanding that consumer behavior patterns and the entire world has changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, uh, especially for online products, you know, there's already Zoom fatigue, you know, people are very tired looking for new experience. Of course, there's a lot of innovation happening in that domain as well. But some, just some contextual understanding of when you're starting that company is very important, because I think it's time to move from best practices to next practices, nice. and to really look forward, you know, to what's happening next. That's one. Uh, but the second is, um, you know, especially you know, if this is the first time, you know, that you're starting a company, it doesn't matter when you're starting a company. But I think um, because most people either start a company, you know, when they are in college or, you know, they get an idea while they're working somewhere and quit their job to then do it full time, right? right? Mm. So I think very different things. But I think when you're in college, you have that risk appetite, you know, your cost of failure is much lower. So you Correct. go ahead and start. But to a lot of people who are starting companies while working on a job, I've heard this so many times. I've been asked, you know, like, hey, should I quit my job to start something? You know, like, how does that work, right? But I feel it's important that you get some validation, like seek validation, uh, you know, before making that plunge. And 
why I'm saying this is because validation is also considered to be very complicated. Like what is validation? Right? How do you know that you've received validation? So I think there are two kinds of validation. One is an idea validation, which is when your customers use your product or service for the intended purpose and it solves the intended problem, right? But then there's business validation when people are also willing to pay for your product and service. They're two very different things. It's not the same. <laughs> So, right. So I think getting both of those validations to some degree, hmm. it doesn't have to be like a thousand people, you know, but getting that validation is very important because it gives you that confidence that, yes, this works. Uh, but uh, at the same time, seeking that validation also teaches you a lot. You know, again, going back to mentorship, you know, seeking good mentorship uh, to help you get that validation out there because, uh, you know, just sometimes when you just ask people to pay because people are apprehensive they're like hey this is too new i don't know if people want to pay you know we are very early stage but i think once you can take that leap you know that s word you know sales like getting into it and getting into it as early as you can i think that just teaches you everything and gives you that confidence that yes i do have something that can be scaled and grown and turned into a company so yeah i think having the contextual understanding and really like Again, not to be uh, very uh, morbid. I'm not talking about the fact that we are in the third year of the pandemic. What I mean is that there are new opportunities out there now. Absolutely. You know, ripe for disruption. So having that context moving from best practices to next practices. And then also uh, getting that idea and business validation. You know, overcoming the whole fear of sales as early as you can. Uh, I think, you know, combination of those two is... So I the fact that, and I think you touched upon it earlier, one of the founders should have sales experience because operations is something you can figure out in the first three, six months. You can get over all the other hurdles that come your way. But if you don't know how to get your product in front of the right audience and make sure that they understand your value proposition and they actually pay you money, if that doesn't work, no, you may have one of the best products in the world, it's not going to succeed, right? And many many times people think that, oh, this I can outsource this. Somebody else will sell for me. If you're able to pull that off, fantastic. I know like maybe two people out of maybe thousands of people, yeah. thousands of people I've met have been able to pull that off, yeah. Yeah. right? Literally two yeah. out of thousand. Yeah. Uh, but the others can't. Yeah. You can't just outsource sales. You can outsource innovation. Yeah. You can outsource testing. Yeah. You can outsource a bunch of things. <laughs> yeah. But outsourcing sales is very difficult yeah. because if you don't know how to sell it, yeah. how do you expect a third party to figure out how to sell yeah. it for you, right? So if a founder is connect, I mean, is either selling himself to start with, yeah. Then he can create a system, then he can put people in the system and that can scale. But if the founder himself doesn't know how to sell his own product or service, it's going to be very, very difficult. You know, this reminds me of something. I walked in here with a guitar, right? Mm. So let me give you an example from the music world. And we are also doing this in Mumbai, so some local context, right? So in the movie Gully Boy, uh, MC Sher says something, you know, where he says that... uh, Right? Which translates to if you don't want to sing your song and you're outsourcing it to me, then why should I sing it? I think that applies to founders as well. When you outsource sales, you know, I mean literally, if you don't want to sell your own product, then why should I buy it when you're outsourcing it to someone else? You know, like you got to sing your own song and uh, you got to sell your own product. Fantastic. I think that brings us to a, a fantastic session. And thank you so much for sharing such interesting ideas and thoughts, right? Uh, uh, many of these things I've heard for the first time, which is fantastic. And uh, what I always tell everyone you know, who watches this, anytime you spend 30, 40 minutes, an hour listening to this, you typically take home, you should take home at least one idea and implement that idea. Uh-huh. Because otherwise you've wasted yeah. 40 minutes, 15 minutes, 60 minutes. Something like this is not only entertainment. It's not supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be hopefully education. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you learn something. 
right? Uh, most people, when they do this, uh, hear it and they leave it. It's that 1%, 2% who actually make a note of it, apply it in life and use it to level up. Right, so I'm hoping you guys have learned something in this conversation with Rohan, and you know he shared some fantastic ideas. Please do apply it in your real life and break some new ceilings. Thanks a lot, Rohan. It was fantastic having you on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having All me. Right. Thanks. Thank you.